Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدًا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وَمَنْ يُطْعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدَ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَإِنَّ أَصْطَقَ الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ 
وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters in the dark of the night an individual known as Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi was hiding in the shadows in preparation for the Fajr prayer during which he would execute an evil mission to murder, to assassinate the Khalifa of the Ummah at the time, Sayyiduna Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anhu used to lead the Fajr Salat, reading very long chapters of the Qur'an. And the reason why he would do that was so people would have adequate time to join the Salat. And on that day, on that morning, while in the Fajr prayer, as he was reciting one of these long chapters of the Qur'an, Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi advanced from a dim pillar with a poison dagger hiding, hidden beneath his sleeve. He went closer and closer until ultimately he jumped in front of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu and stabbed him repeatedly with this poison dagger. And he attempted to escape through the congregation as people were trying to pounce on him and grab him, slashing people left and right, murdering in his path several others. One companion managed to throw a blanket or a cloth over him. And this murderer, Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi, realized he was caught. And in that moment, he stabbed himself with that poison dagger, killing himself. Now, as Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu was lying there wounded in a pool of his own blood, he said his famous words to those around him. He said, Atimmu salat complete the prayer. Sayyidina Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu went ahead and completed the Fajr prayer leading the community, which Umar had started. Umar went and finished the prayer on his own as a part of the congregation to the side and he passed away three days later. Now we see from this story about the martyrdom of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu that despite the poison stab wounds, despite the intense pain he was going through, despite the blood and the stress of the moment, the salat remained the priority even more of a priority than his own life. Dear brothers and sisters, the importance of establishing the five daily salawat cannot be overstated. And it's something that we emphasize over and over again. And that is because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam emphasizes it over and over again. So it's not something that we should grow tired of hearing. It's not something that we should get bored of hearing because Allah tells us to remind each other of the basics. 
Allah says in remind, for the reminder benefits the believers. When we go back a little bit before Sayyidina Umar was martyred, we have in the final moments of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, another beautiful example of this. In his final moments, as he was preparing to leave this world, the final counsel he gave to the Ummah was as-salat, as-salat, the prayer, the, the prayer. And in those final moments, as he was in and out of consciousness, in this period of intensity, Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha relates that in that final moment when he came to, the first thing he said to those looking around him in deep concern, the first thing he said to them was, Hadaratis salat The time of the prayer has entered. And in one narration of the same hadith, it is said that he came to and said, Asking it as a question, has the time for prayer come? And there's no contradiction between these two narrations because either of them can be read as a question and both of them can be read as his focus on making sure that the community is establishing the prayer. That is the first concern that he has. He's reminding his wife, Sayyidah Aisha. He's reminding those companions that were around him and tending to him in those final moments that despite the distress they were suffering, despite the pain, he's teaching them to uphold the prayer even in the most stressful and most difficult of circumstances. And that is because this ummah, the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, has not and will not suffer a difficulty, a tribulation as hard as the passing of the Prophet If he is telling them to carefully observe their salat in that circumstance, what do you think about other circumstances? What do you think about when a person is busy at work? Or when a person is busy at school? Or when a person is dealing with the inevitable stresses of life. What do you think about the command of salat when a person is simply preoccupied with daily concerns? None of those things can match the intensity, the pain, and the stress of the final moments before the ummah experienced the passing of the Prophet Dear brothers and sisters, we all know that after the shahada of La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah, the first pillar connected with action is the pillar of prayer. Allah Ta'ala made salat obligatory upon all of the prophets and all of the communities. Allah Ta'ala declared the obligatory status of salat in majestic circumstances. For example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was speaking directly to Musa alayhi salam, he mentions in Surah Taha, وَأَنَا اخْتَرْتُكَ فَاسْتَمِعْ لِمَا يُوحَى إِنَّنِي أَنَا اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدْنِي وَأَقِيمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِي 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he spoke directly to Prophet Musa alayhi salam, he says to him, and I have chosen you, so listen to what is inspired to you. Indeed, I am Allah, there is none worthy of worship but me. So worship me and establish the prayer for my remembrance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the prayer obligatory on Prophet Musa and his community in a majestic setting at Mount Tur. And similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made salat obligatory on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and his ummah in an even more majestic setting. And that is in the seven heavens during the Mi'raj. Dear brothers and sisters, Allah praises the believers for a variety of qualities. But when we look in Surah Al-Mu'minun, we see that Allah Ta'ala praises the believers for their salat. When he says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Successful indeed are the believers, those who are humbly submissive in their prayers. So the importance of salat cannot be overestimated. And the importance of salat is further demonstrated in many ahadith, many statements from the Prophet For example, it is recorded by Al-Imam Al-Tabarani that the Prophet said, the first thing that the servant will be brought to account for on the Day of Judgment is the Salat. If it is sound, then the rest of his or her deeds will be sound. And if it is bad, then the rest of his or her deeds will be bad. Salat, this thing that we are obligated to do every single day, is a great barometer. It's a great measure of our faith. If you want to know Allah's standing with you, then see where is your standing with Allah. And to do that, you have to see how much importance do you give to the salat. If the salat is a person's last concern, then this means inevitably that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also their last concern. And if salat is not a concern at all because they neglect it outright and shamelessly, then this indicates that Allah is not a concern to them one iota. So when the prayer is performed properly and dutiful, with true remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with true turning to Him, seeking forgiveness, it will have a lasting impact on that person's soul. And after they finish the salat, their heart will be filled with the remembrance of Allah ta'ala. And they will be in a state between fear and hope. And after that experience of a true transformative salat, they're not going to want to move from that lofty position to one where they are disobeying Allah ta'ala. Now Allah mentions this reality in the Qur'an when He says, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ Indeed, the prayer keeps one, it prevents one from the great sins and immoralities. 
But we have to be honest with ourselves. We can all relate to this experience of praying our salat and yet still struggling with sinful habits. So what gives? If the prayer is supposed to keep us from sins and evil deeds, why do we still struggle with sins and evil deeds? The answer is that the prayer may be observed. The person may be praying their five, even on time, but there's some kind of deficiency. Now that deficiency can be outwardly, or it could be inwardly, or it could be both outwardly and inwardly at the same time. So among those who pray their salat, there are certain lazy actions that have to be banished altogether. There are some people who do not concentrate on what they're saying in salat. There are some people who rush through the prayer. There are some people who while they are in salat, they allow their gaze to venture here, there, and everywhere, looking at everything while they are in salat. And then there are some who are so absent-minded that they forget the number of raka'at they're on. And then there are some for whom the dunya is hugging and tugging at their heart and clouding their minds. They're preoccupied with all of these thoughts. And there are some people who rush, who hasten, who are racing the imam to such that even before the imam reaches it. There are various deficiencies that we have to know about and that we have to banish from our salat. But we can only compare the quality of our prayer to those who set a very high standard. The Sahaba and the Tabi'un and the Atba'a Tabi'een and the illustrious generations of those pious individuals who have gone before us. For example, Al-Rabi'a ibn al-Khaytham. Al-Rabi'a ibn al-Khaytham was so attentive in his salat that as he lowers his head humbly in salat, it became his constant posture. That's how much he was praying, and that's how he was praying. So much so that his neighbor, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, who was his neighbor for 20 years, when Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's servant would see Al-Rabi' ibn Khaytham walking from his house, the servant would say, that blind neighbor of yours is out again. The, the servant thought that Al-Rabi' ibn Khaytham was blind from the way he would walk humbly like this because that was, he was so used to that posture in his salat. Now in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim, we have a very interesting hadith that every single Muslim should know about. In this hadith that comes from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he tells us that there was a man in the time of the Prophet wasallam, and this man came into the masjid, and it just so happened that as he came into the masjid, the Prophet wasallam was sitting down. So he comes inside of the masjid and he offers two rak'ahs. After he finishes his two rak'ahs, he gives his salams. He gets up and he goes over and says, As-salamu alayka ya Rasulullah. He gives the salams to the Prophet The Prophet responds to his salams. Wa alaykum as-salam. 
But then he told him something. He said to him, He said, go back and pray, for you have not prayed. But didn't we just say he offered two rakahs? The man was confused, but he obeyed the command. He went back and he offered two rakahs again. After he finished, he went back to the Prophet ﷺ and greeted him. To which the Prophet ﷺ replied and said once more, Go back and pray, for you have not prayed. So he goes back now, this is the third time praying. He prays to rak'ahs, he finishes them, he goes back and greets the Prophet ﷺ, only to hear a third time, He goes back and does it again. He comes back, he greets, and then he's told another time, Go back and pray, for you haven't prayed. So he's confused. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, Walladhi ba'athaka bilhaq, by the one who sent you with the truth, I don't know any better than this. There was no difference between any of those raka'at that he offered. Each time he did it, it, it looked exactly the same. But there was a problem. But he didn't know what the problem was. So he said, I don't know. This is all I know. Teach me, Ya Rasulullah. And so the Prophet wasallam said to him, When you stand for salat, say Allahu Akbar. Then recite of the Qur'an whatever is easy for you. After the Fatiha, of course. As Allah Ta'ala says, فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ Recite what is easy for you of the Qur'an. Then he said, then bow, ruku' until you are comfortable in your ruku' hatta until you are comfortable and at rest in ruku' then stand up until you're standing up straight then make sajda prostrate until you are comfortable in your sujood hatta and then sit until you are comfortable in your sitting and then prostrate again until you are comfortable in your sujood. And do this for your entire salat. It sounds like a very basic description of the main postures of salat. So what was going on with that man's prayer? He was rushing through it. He was not giving himself adequate time to be in each posture properly. And for that reason, his salat was deficient. Now the ulama, the scholars of the deen, call this hadith the hadith of the one who is al-masi'u salatuhu, the one who prayed badly. That is literally the title given to this hadith, the hadith of the man who prayed badly. And in the prophetic description, we find the bare minimum for an acceptable salat. So the question we have to ask ourselves, dear brothers and sisters, is where are we with respect to this bare minimum, where are we? The people in Jannah, Allah describes a dialogue they will have. And in that dialogue, they will converse with those who are doomed to go to hell. 
And Allah Ta'ala mentions this dialogue from the Ashabul Yameen. They will ask the people destined for hell, Ma salakakum fi saqar? What has caused you to be driven to hell? And those people who will be driven to hell will say, Lam naku minal musallin. We were not among those who prayed. And if we don't pray properly, it's like we're not praying. So the message that we should all take to heart is this statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: Go back and pray, for you have not prayed. So we say to ourselves, May Allah make us of Ahlus Salat, the people who establish it properly with understanding. Amin. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وأفطر الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته وتعلق بجانبه إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters Why do we come to the masjid? Why are we here? Why do we even offer salat in the first place? We do so in obedience to the command of Allah Ta'ala, our Creator, who prescribed the prayer. It was the decision of the Divine to make Salat obligatory upon us. And this Salat is for our own good, whether we recognize it or not. So the believer, the mu'min, is the one who establishes the prayer. Meaning they offer the prayer day in and day out, no matter how they feel, whether they are tired, whether they're energetic, whether they're feeling it or not feeling it. As Allah Ta'ala tells us in the Quran, Worship your Lord until death overtakes you. So if that is the case, if we have to establish the salat day in and day out as the perpetual and constant obligation as a Muslim, why would we lose out on the blessings and the rewards and the lights and the barakah and the goodness of the salat just because of a wandering heart or because of fidgeting limbs? Humble, focused concentration. What we call in Arabic khushu'ah, that is the heart of the prayer. Yet despite knowing this, we often do not strive to really perfect our salat. And for that reason, very often we only get a tiny portion of the blessings and rewards of the prayers that we offer. The Prophet ﷺ mentions in a hadith recorded by Abu Dawood, that a person will leave from their salat and have only a tenth of his salat written on his account, or a ninth, or an eighth, or a seventh, or a sixth, or a fifth, or a fourth, or a third, or a half or more. That is the reality. 
Dear brothers and sisters, Salat is that perpetual obligation. And as you think about your own Salat and your ups and downs, the moments of attention and moments of distraction, those moments of laziness and the moments of energy, can you ever imagine a time where you would come into the Salat and line up in the prayer row in Jama'ah and after you utter the takbir, you reach into someone's pocket and steal something they have? Can you imagine going into the prayer and as you're praying next to someone to your right and to your left, as they're in Salat and you're in Salat, you quietly and subtly move your hand to reach into their pocket to steal their wallet or steal their phone. It's almost unthinkable. Anything is possible and things happen, but it's almost unthinkable. But did you know that we can actually steal in a way that is far worse than stealing from someone while they're in prayer? And that is stealing from our own prayer. One can be a thief inside of their own salat. Yes. And this comes from the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He tells, he tells us that the worst thief is the one who steals from his salat. The Sahaba were very puzzled when they heard that. They were shocked and they said, Ya Rasulullah, how does a person steal from their prayer? And he said, that person does not complete its ruku' or its sujood, its bowing or its prostration. Because of the speed with which some people pray, they are stealing from their prayer. They're not giving it the due attention it deserves. They pray so quickly, it's as if they are birds pecking the ground, pecking up and down. And the Prophet ﷺ forbade that someone should peck in prayer like a crow. Sayyidina Umar anhu, he once stood on the minbar in Medina and he's addressing the community. And this community is not any ordinary community. This is a community of Sahaba and a community of second generation tabi'un, people who became Muslim in that second generation who are not Sahaba. So these are really the elite of the world. And he stands on the minbar addressing the community in Medina and he raises his thunderous, powerful voice and says, a man may grow old in Islam and never completed for Allah a single salat. Imagine the audience he's addressing with this. He says a person can grow old. They're in their 60s and their 70s. They've been praying their whole life on the surface. But in the reality, they have not offered even a single salat for Allah. Now those in the audience were shocked, understandably. And they asked him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, how is this? He said, he does not perfect his concentration, nor his humbleness, nor his focus on Allah while in the salat. It's a very serious warning, dear brothers and sisters. The prayer should not be seen as a chore. We have to pray whether we feel like it or not. And sometimes it may feel like a chore, but ideally it should not feel like a chore.
the Prophet sallallahu described the prayer for himself and said, The source of my delight is in the prayer. And as followers of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, those who aspire to follow him, this should be our aspiration as well. Is the prayer really a source of delight and tranquility for us? And I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Wallahi billahi wa tallahi, as members of the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, we will never find true delight and tranquility outside of what brought him tranquility and delight. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam. And any delight, any tranquility that we seek outside of salat and dhikrullah will only make us weary and will only bring us grief. Our solution is in what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam described as the coolness of my eyes, literally. The apple of my eye, as we would say in Old English. So the reality of salat, dear brothers and sisters, is that it is a measure. It is a barometer. The salat is the mirror of our state. If it is in a good state, then we are in a good state. And if the salat is in a bad state, then we are in a bad state. And understanding this is so pivotal because it means that if we are in a bad state right now, it doesn't have to be that way. It means that if we're in a bad state, we can actually fix that bad state by making sure that our salat is in a good state. So how do we get our bearings? How do we get it to a good state? Next week, inshallah, we'll speak at more length about the inner aspects of the prayer, the khushu'ah, the humility and focus. But for now, let us just understand a very important message about salat itself. And that message is, salat is the last pillar of Islam that will break at the end of time. There are many bonds, there are many knots or cords, things that hold up this structure of the deen, the structure of Islam, and they will unravel, they will break, they will snap over time, but there's a very particular order in which they snap and break and unfurl. Abu Umama al-Bahiri radiallahu anhu relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said that the bonds of Islam will be broken one by one, and each time one is broken, people will grasp on to the next one. He says, the first of these to break will be al-hukum, meaning just rule, just authority, just political rule. That is the first thing to break. And that's exactly what happened in our history. And he says the last bond to break is salat. So if that is broken in our own lives, what's going on in our deen? That is the last bond to break for the ummah of this deen. Imam al-Bukhari records from Imam Zuhri, who said that I went to go see Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. And he was an old man at the time. He was very elderly. He says, I went to go see him. 
And I found him weeping. And I said to him, Ma yubkik? You know, why are you weeping? What causes you to cry? And Anas radiallahu anhu said, I do not recognize anything that I have known except for the salat. And even it is neglected. At the time, Sayyiduna Anas radiallahu anhu was elderly. And he was living in a time of great tyranny during the Umayyad period where the salat, particularly in the masajid, in the jami' it became a plaything of the rulers who would delay it past its time and neglect the fundamentals of prayer. But he was lamenting that fact. Dear brothers and sisters, salat is the most fundamental spiritual routine upon which all other spiritual routines are based. This obligation never ends. You may be excused from fasting if you are sick. You may be excused. It's not obligatory on you to pay zakat if you don't have enough money that reaches the nisab threshold. Maybe a person is excused from performing hajj because they don't have enough money to get there. But salat is an obligation that is never lifted. Even if you're sick, even if you're disabled, even if you're bedridden, even if la qadr Allah, a person is paralyzed, salat is still an obligation. Even if it's just moving their eyelids, it remains an obligation. And that obligation has to be guarded. Allah tells us not just to establish the salat, to make it a part of our life, but to guard it. He tells us in the Quran, safeguard the prayer and the middlemost prayer and stand devoutly before Allah. So one is going to guard what they consider valuable and what they consider liable to loss. If a person does not consider salat valuable, why would they guard it? You only guard what you value. Dear brothers and sisters, we have to understand the importance of salat, as basic as it sounds. We don't have complex solutions. The solutions are in the simple things done consistently and properly over time. Those are the solutions to most of our problems. One who establishes the salat will be different from the one for whom it's just a routine. The person who really establishes the salat properly will be experiencing the greatness of Allah Ta'ala in that salat. They will humble themselves before the divine and this will protect them from indecency and evil. Have you ever thought about why when we start the salat, we begin with the takbir? Why out of all the things that we say and do, do we begin the salat by raising our hands and saying, Allahu Akbar. What is the wisdom behind that? The ulama mention that the wisdom behind uttering the takbir, Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest, is that we bring to presence in our hearts this meaning that Allah Ta'ala is greater than everything else. When you raise your hands and then fold them, it's as if you're pushing everything away, anything that distracts you, Everything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's like you are saying, Allahu Akbar min kulli shay. Allahu Akbar min ad-dunya. Allahu Akbar min humumina. Wa min humumina. Wa min kulli shay. 
is as if a person is saying, Allah is greater than the dunya, greater than my anxieties, greater than my stresses, greater than my schedule, greater than everything, greater than my needs and my wants and my distractions, and greater than my sins. That is what we should intend as we raise our hands and utter Allahu Akbar. Our Creator only asks us for five salat in the day and in the evening. Each one takes between five to ten minutes. But when we look at the research, we find that people spend more time on their devices than they do in salat. The latest research shows that people spend an average of 145 minutes on their phone each day. And that the average person touches their phone over 2,600 times a day. And they check their phone 96 times a day. Did I get a call? Did I get a text? Did I get a message? What's going on? All of that contact with the device, yet people are reluctant and lacking punctuality, if not being an outright renegade when it comes to establishing the daily prayers on time. So what's required of us? It's required of us that we really know and appreciate the importance and seriousness of the salat. It's required of us to know, to truly know, the rulings of tahara, of purification and prayer with a solid structure, with a teacher, ideally. Not in a piecemeal fashion, but with a structure, something that we review one or two times a year to refresh ourselves about the ahkam, the rulings of a proper salat that is owed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is upon us to take time to really learn the meanings of what we are saying. The real meanings of the Fatiha and the dhikr and the du'as that we make in ruku' when we rise up from ruku' when we're in sujood, when we're sitting in tashahud, in between the sajdas, to really know the in-depth meanings of what we are saying. And it is upon us to make sure that we're praying on time. It's absolutely unacceptable. And it's shameful for a person to think that they can just go home at the end of a long work day and pray their fajr that they missed, and then pray their dhuhr and their asr and their maghrib and isha before they engage in what they consider truly important. That is shameful. Allah Ta'ala orders that the prayers are according to the times He set, not the times that we set. That is the reality, dear brothers and sisters. So may Allah Ta'ala make us of those who truly value the salat and understand its importance. May He make us of those who are properly changed and transformed by salat beyond routine movements. May He make us of those who find our own tranquility, qurratu'in in the salat and allow us to be of those for whom the salat is a provision and a nourishment for our souls in times of difficulty and stress ameen rabbana atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab an-nar allahumma salli ala sayidina muhammad abdika wa rasulika an-nabiyyir ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati dhatika fi kulli waqtin wa hin سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم يرحمكم الله